Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Struggle Creates Strength. Struggle Creates Strength is a mental health platform exemplifying that everyone has a story. I always say that no two stories are the same, but every story has the potential to help someone else. On today's episode, we have Marshall Whitman. Marshall is currently living in Calgary, Alberta, and he has experienced some things that nobody should experience in their life. He has encountered drug addiction, alcohol addiction, suicidal thoughts and attempts, and he's only 18 years old. He's a very strong individual and I was truly inspired by hearing his story and I hope that you are as well. I hope you enjoy his story and just remember that you never know what somebody's going through and Marshall is a clear indicator of that. Also, this podcast is sponsored by Raincoast Clothing. Raincoast Clothing is a clothing company based out of Vancouver Island, Canada. They represent nature by embracing adventure, spontaneity, and health, both physical and mental. They have recently decided to join my mental health movement and donate 5% of profits from every item of clothing towards mental health awareness. Also, we have collaborated and created a Struggle Create Strength t-shirt, which has 100% of profits going towards mental health awareness. Go to raincoastclothing.com and help support mental health while getting yourself some great clothes. Now, I hope you enjoy Marshall Whitman's podcast and realize that everyone has a story. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for obviously, one, reaching out to me and two, being courageous enough to share your story. And I know that you've opened up to me uh, quite a bit and obviously not fully, but um, hopefully today you can share your story and obviously give us a better insight on who you are and some of the struggles that you've actually encountered in your life because I know that some of the struggles that you have encountered are very severe and um, you're here to tell the tale and I'm one I'm very honored very very honored to be having this conversation with you and um, I know a lot of people think that there's them sharing their story isn't a huge deal to me because I do it very often but I take every single story very seriously and I learn something new from every story and I get to connect with somebody new on every single podcast and that's the most important part so thank you obviously for coming on it's amazing yeah no problem thank you for the opportunity to even be on I've always wanted to kind of spread the story of what actually I'm just gonna hold it (laughs) (laughs) um so yeah basically been through a lot in my life Mm -hmm. like I said I really appreciate you even letting me come on the podcast uh it's always something I've wanted to talk about haven't really been able to talk about it with too many people obviously all my friends have like asked about it and I'm just giving the quick rundown yeah most of the people were like there was no one with me at the time yeah but they they had already heard about it through other people um basically like, do you want to know right off the bat what happened? Because there's a lot that's behind it that goes into it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. So, when I was 16, I, like, I, I guess I should start earlier. I've always, I've had depression since I was 14. Yep. So, that was my first diagnosis was depression, clinical depression, uh, general anxiety disorder, and social anxiety disorder. Mm-hmm. Those were my first three diagnoses is and um that's when i first got put on medication for it Mm -hmm. and i really wasn't a fan of the medication but i took it because i knew i needed to um Mm -hmm. 
but at that time I'd always, I'd already been through a lot in my mind. Like I was bullied in grade six, grade five, which kind of led me into a depressive type state. Mm-hmm. Um, at that time I was a little bit overweight. I wasn't as good looking as a lot of my friends were. Mm-hmm. Um, so that kind of at that age, you're kind of in that mindset where that's yeah. all that really matters for at that sure. time. Um, so obviously I was made fun of for that, th- those types of things, um, which always was held back in my mind. Mm-hmm. Um, and it made me act in a different way. Um, but when I was 16, uh, I stopped taking my pills and which I think was for the better. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's when I got addicted to opioids. So I was addicted to, um, Percocets, uh, yeah. they're called tech three hundreds or tech four hundreds, I think. Yeah. Um, and I've always been an addictive person, obviously with me being overweight when I was younger, mm-hmm. um, the addiction at that point was kind of just comfort food, food that made me feel safe. Cause I was being made fun of, mm-hmm. I would just like eat my way out of my problems at that time. Um, but when I was 16, that's when the depression, like really started getting bad. Um, like thoughts about suicide daily. Mm-hmm. Uh, my anxiety was through the roof. I was scared to go to school cause I thought I was just nervous all the time. I was mm-hmm. always had that weird pit in your stomach feeling of like, what's going to happen. I don't want to go to school. Like anything that would happen. I was nervous about it. I was scared. Um, so I saw the Percocets as like a, uh, kind of the take me out of that mm-hmm. um so the most i had taken in one day at age 16 was 14 percocets holy cow which is a lot like yeah. that that could put down like a horse like that is a lot of, of drugs mm-hmm. and obviously i wish i was more informed at that time of what what the possibilities behind that could be mm-hmm. um like obviously i could have like it, I could have been a lot worse off than what, like nothing happened to me with the Percocets. That was just the start to, to the addiction phase, mm-hmm. which I went from Percocets to weed. And then when I was smoking weed every day, I was taking like 25 to 30 bong rips a day, uh, smoking mm-hmm. joints. Like wh- I would always take things to the extreme. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know, my body can just handle things like that. I can always, I could always drink a lot, like more than my friends. I could always just like take it on. Like mm-hmm. it, I, I was just a very addictive person, not in the way that the substances themselves were addictive, but mm-hmm. my mind was attached to the feeling that they gave off. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's how I got addicted to mushrooms and psychedelics, LSD, mm-hmm. Molly, all those psychedelic drugs as well was because those are so, um, they they allow you to escape your reality right so once my mind kind of got in that place it always wanted to be there Mm -hmm. so when i wasn't high on those drugs i was sad i was depressed i was mad so it made me take them all the time Mm -hmm. and then obviously with the overdose that happened um that i should get more backstory and that was um i when you start off taking mushrooms, you usually take three to four grams, yeah, which is like a normal dose that just kind of has a nice chill vibe to it. But, and I'm not here to like bash on the drug or anything. Mm-hmm. It's, there's a reason that it's used for, for depression therapy. It actually is like 
you can get microdoses which help treat depression. Mm -hmm. If you use it properly, it can obviously help you. I was not using it properly. Mm -hmm. I uh, I took advantage of it for sure. Mm -hmm. um, so I was taking like 10 to 11 grams at a time for a dose. Mm -hmm. And that would be one to two times a day. So like that's a lot of money first yeah. off. Like I was spending probably 200 bucks a week on it. Um, so yeah, basically taking like 10 to 11 grams a day consistently every day going to school high on the drug um i would cycle them as well so if it wasn't mushrooms one week it'd be the lsd the next week mm -hmm. so i was just going back and forth with it i didn't really know the precautions or the the things that could happen with it i i just heard that it could be good for you and obviously when i took it i was a better person in my mm -hmm. own eyes mm -hmm. i was nicer to people um i enjoyed my life more i enjoyed simple things more mm -hmm. but that doesn't go without saying that that's only when you're on the drug. So yeah, that's, it's just hard to hard to grasp it because when you're high on that drug, you always want to be high on it. So, mm -hmm. I mean, I guess that's more of a personal thing than not, but the, the reason I'm sharing this is because I know there's probably other people out there that are struggling through something that's similar to this. Yeah. If it's not mushrooms, it could be weed. And don't get me wrong, like weed's not bad, like nothing, nothing like that is bad for you. You can take mushrooms and you can be fine. You just got to be able to grasp on when it's getting out of hand. Yeah, essentially. For sure. So what, what happened with the overdose was this was when I started to hit like very rock bottom mm -hmm. in my life at that time. It was right when my high school grad was I had diplomas coming up. I was nervous about that. I was just trying to take my mind off of it. And a lot of the times when you take mushrooms consistently, your thoughts start to get a little weird. Mm -hmm. So there were a lot of thoughts that I had on mushrooms where I was like, like, kill me now. Like I'll like, I was asked basically asking God to kill me while I'm on the drug. Mm -hmm. and I almost got my wish uh, one of the times. So, But that wasn't the mushrooms that did that. It was apparent to me that it was laced with something, and I didn't know what it was. Mm -hmm. And what happened with the overdose was I had a party the night before it happened, um, which at that time, like obviously, like we're kids, we party, like nothing yeah. wrong with that right when the party was ending there was still a couple of my friends here and they're like oh like let's take mushrooms and i'm like oh like obviously they knew i had them mm -hmm. um and at like three in the morning i was sitting there with a bag of mushrooms in my hand there's about 13 or 14 grams in it and i was sitting there with the two six of vodka and the mushrooms and i was just grabbing handfuls of them and chewing them and then chasing them with vodka I just didn't care at that point anymore. Like mm -hmm. I was just trying to chase a high at like, I, I just wanted to be in the best state I could be in on the drug. Mm -hmm. So I kept taking them daily constantly. And then the next day came around and, um, I had, I had 50 grams in my possession at that time. So I had already, I'd eaten 28 grams the day before, which mm -hmm. is a whole ounce. Yeah. And then I ate 28 grams the next day. Yeah. So 56 grams in two days, I can probably wow. do something bad for anyone. Yeah. Um, but when the caught, like when the overdose happened, I was, it was right when the trip kicked in. 
um, I knew something wasn't right. Mm-hmm. I was sitting on my couch and I looked up in the left corner of, cause you always look at your surroundings and yeah. it's kind of what like the drug is about. And, um, I looked up in the left corner and I just started seeing ripples and like my brain started kind of like, felt like it was like pulsing. Like I could feel the pulse in my brain and like, mm-hmm. it felt like it was going up, down. Like it was just not a good feeling. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden I couldn't move. Like I could barely move my body. My fingers were not like doing what I wanted them to do. It was like, I lost complete control of my body. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, so I like, I forced myself to call 911. Um, I thought I was just having a bad trip. Like you know, I was going to get over it, but mm-hmm. it's definitely not the case. Um, so I called 911. I told them I was overdosing. Uh, they sent paramedics and police right away. Um, and there was no one in the house, but me and my sister mm-hmm. at the time, my parents were out for the weekend. Like they weren't at home. Mm-hmm. Um, and me being 17, they didn't tell my parents until the next day, mm-hmm. which was worrying to me. Cause my parents didn't even know what happened. Yeah, for sure. Um, but that obviously happened. And then uh, I called the paramedics. I needed them to come. And I had to crawl up two flights of stairs because my room was in the basement. Mm-hmm. Um, I was literally on all fours. I, I was literally crawling like a dog. I could barely move. Mm-hmm. And I got to the second floor in my house and I just screamed for my sister's name. And mm-hmm. I I feel terrible about it, but I freaked her out. Like I scared the shit out. She's older than me. And I, yeah. I gave her PTSD from what happened, mm-hmm. um, which is not a good feeling, obviously. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's when I really started to freak out. Like I, I, I really knew something was wrong at that point. My arms started moving without me controlling the movement and mm-hmm. it felt like they were trying to break themselves. Like they were, they were moving in ways I'd never like tried to move them before. And they were like, they felt like they were all backwards. Like it, my body just felt like it was in complete tyranny. Like yeah. it was terrible. And when the paramedics got to my house, they, sat me down they obviously tried to calm me down asked what happened uh asked all the general information checked my pulse and stuff mm-hmm. and um they like i was having a heart attack at the time like i was Holy literally shit. my heart was beating at like 200 like it was going crazy mm-hmm. and i was speaking so fast that the paramedics had to re-ask every single question because i didn't realize how fast i was talking mm-hmm. and um the cop came to my house and i was like arrest me arrest me like i'm a like i'm a terrible person like just put me in jail uh, i don't want to be here anymore like all that kind of stuff like that and then mm-hmm. he's like dude i'm not gonna arrest you like it's mushrooms we yeah. don't care <laughs> i think that's kind of funny that they <laughs> that, but, um, he was like where's the bag and i said it's downstairs like go in my house like break all my bongs like i don't want anything to do with drugs anymore like do it and he's like i'm not gonna break your bong <laughs> um which i thought's funny too like it was a i had a really good cop come like it yeah. wasn't like he he was trying to help me like he was really mm-hmm. he was a really good cop he even sat in the uh in the ambulance with me while i went to the hospital mm-hmm. and he was just trying to calm me down the whole time uh, but they took the bag, they tested the bag, and they told me that it was laced with fentanyl, which instantly my, like, heart dropped. Like, I was so mm-hmm. scared because I know what the drug, like, that drug is so potent. I read earlier today that it's 50 times stronger than heroin. 
which gosh. is crazy. Like heroin's one of the worst drugs out there. And yeah, that drug is 50 times more potent than that. Um, so basically at that time too, when I was sitting on my porch with the paramedics, I could see almost everyone on my street came outside and I saw people like literally holding their heads like crouching over like I heard some people crying like my neighbors were in they were not in a good state either they were all scared shitless of what mm. what was happening to me at the time and that was another like that's another PTSD feeling that I do get from that um the PTSD that I have from it as well as when I see an ambulance. It's happened plenty of times um, when I'm either just walking on the street or I'm when I'm driving, I'll see an ambulance and sometimes I have to pull over and kind of recollect my thoughts and mm -hmm. just sit there for 10, 15 minutes. And like, cause my brain thinks that something's happening, like something mm -hmm. bad is happening. Uh, hard to explain in that sense, but I do still have some pretty bad PTSD from it which I just try to kind of separate myself from any situation that I'll get in that will cause that PTSD. Mm -hmm. But when I got into the ambulance was when it really started looking like it was going downhill. Like I was, the paramedics thought I was going to die. Like mm -hmm. they were really trying not to inject me with, uh, I think it's Noxalone or well, I don't know what the drug is, but yeah. it's like pure adrenaline basically. Mm -hmm. So your body just rids of the, the drugs that are in there. Um, and they're really trying not to do that because they wanted to see if they could do it naturally. Mm -hmm. But it wasn't like I told them I started seeing what like the light I couldn't see anymore. Like it was just blank. Everything I was looking at was just white. Mm -hmm. um, so I started to freak out at that time and I was going sporadic in the ambulance, like punching stuff like I was going crazy. Um and then they injected me with that. And that's when I kind of started to calm down, obviously not fully, but I started mm -hmm. to calm down. And then I had to spend the night in, um, in the ICU because they had to do a bunch of tests on my heart and my organs to see if they were okay. Um, and then they let me know that my heart completely repolarized itself, which essentially means that my heart stopped for a bit and then it restarted again um which is a scary thing when you're 17 no like kidding. that you shouldn't be having heart problems when you're 17 but obviously i put myself into those types of situations so mm -hmm. um it's my own fault in a sense that i took advantage of the drug and i let it take advantage of me because of my addictive personality mm -hmm. um but the the only like scary thing to me at that time was like do my parents know like i thought they knew when i was in icu i thought they knew they just weren't allowed to come see me yet mm -hmm. um they they came in at like nine or ten in the morning the next day uh the social workers came in and said do you want your parents to know and i said what do you like yeah they should have known 12 hours ago when it <laughs> happened like i want them to be here and they're like, okay, we just have to do a mental health assessment before that. And if you don't pass it, we're going to have to put you in uh, psychiatric care. Like they were going to put me in a mental hospital because mm -hmm. they thought like it was a suicide attempt. It was, that's what I should have touched on before. Mm -hmm. um, I have, I've tried to kill myself three times in my life. Mm -hmm. uh, the first two times I didn't tell anyone. Um, I, 
I was, I would choke myself. Like I would, I would cut my wrist. One time I cut my wrist almost right on the vein where I thought it was gonna, you know, I would bleed out, but mm. luckily I didn't. And I just stupid because I had a huge scar on my arm. Mm-hmm. Um, so I probably wore a hoodie for a year straight never took my hoodie off like I was I was always that anxious kid like scared of anything and everything um like just never wanted to put myself in a situation where I knew something could go go bad mm. but that's why I kind of used the drugs as a takeaway like I would uh I would always need a vice some people call it like the, some people have a like a beer at night mm-hmm. for me it was mushrooms mm-hmm. like for me, it was LSD. For me, it was weed. And when I was on mushrooms, I would smoke weed. And I, I was on LSD, I would smoke weed with it. Mm-hmm. So I was usually doing two drugs at once. Um, but the, the night before the overdose, things got pretty crazy on that night too, because it was the first time I'd ever done molly. So I did molly mushrooms. I tried cocaine that night. Um, and I was drinking very heavily and smoking. So there was a lot going on in my body at that time that mm-hmm. I couldn't feel, obviously, because I was so on the other side. Like yeah. I, there was, there were so many drugs in my system that I could barely tell left from right. Mm-hmm. Um, but like I don't know, like I said, I, like I I could just take it at that time. Like my body could handle it, um, and that's when like obviously the fentanyl sent me over the edge and I'm personally, I'm glad it did Mm -hmm. just because of the fact that I needed to stop. There wouldn't have been anything in my mind to stop me from doing what I was doing unless that happened. Mm -hmm. So in a sense, it's good that it did happen, but it's obviously terrible that I went through it, Mm -hmm. but I learned, I learned a good life lesson from, from what happened there. Yeah. No kidding. Yeah. That's, that is, (laughs) It blows my mind. I like just from. It's a lot. Of, I'm a talker. I'm yeah. A, no. I that's a, no. It's awesome. But yeah. It just yeah. It blows my mind because, I mean, everyone nowadays is around that stuff, and everyone learns so much about it and so much about those drugs, and everyone always hears the good things, but nobody really hears about that side of it and where it can turn and where it can go. And I know me, especially I haven't heard anything like that or any story similar to that. And I'm sure there's a ton of people that can relate and yeah, like, wow, <laughs> like I, you just, you left me speechless. That's, that's for sure. And I mean, so courageous for speaking up and sharing this story and sharing this big aspect of your life. And I mean, being so young like how did how did that affect your kind of your social life as well obviously going through something that severe and that big from that see that's at that time i don't like i've always kind of been not a loner i've always had friends Mm -hmm. i've always been part of like the more popular groups like i've had a lot of i'm i don't hate anyone like i never hated anyone i never neglected to hang out with anyone um Mm -hmm. when people wanted to hang out with me it's just like i didn't like doing what they liked doing Mm -hmm. they always wanted to go and party they wanted to go to a party every night that they could i wasn't about that like i just wanted the more relaxed chill kind of lifestyle where i can Mm -hmm. just 
sit in my room, just go. If I like, if it's just one friend, that's fine. But like, they would always want ten people to come over. Like my house at the time was kind of like the trap house, like because <laughs> my parents didn't. My parents didn't care that I smoked weed in the basement. Yeah. Um. So my friends would take advantage of that. Always come over and smoke in my basement. Mm-hmm. Um. But the social side of things, I always kind of separated myself from doing too like too crazy of things i never really wanted to go to parties Mm -hmm. but i did when a lot of my friends were there Mm -hmm. it just like i would go and party obviously but once i started taking the mushrooms i really separate like i isolated myself basically Mm -hmm. because i was so in love with that feeling and so in love with escaping my reality Mm -hmm. that that's all i wanted to do i just wanted to be alone and do that and sit there with my thoughts Mm -hmm. which like don't get me wrong it's it does feel great at the time because i was at peace for a long time Mm -hmm. for about two months there i was completely at peace i was so happy i had never felt that type of happiness Mm -hmm. but that's when my tolerance started building up because like with any drug you'll build a tolerance to it Mm -hmm. so the three grams just weren't doing it so that's when i started to up it and then it was six grams every day and then eight grams every day then it got up to like 12 and 15 and that's when i started taking like a whole ounce in a day which is like even if you're smoking a whole ounce of weed a day like that's they're gonna have some mental precautions yeah like you're you're gonna start feeling mentally not okay which Mm -hmm. at the time a lot of my friends were scared for me Mm -hmm. um like actually the friend that's here like that's upstairs was the one that texted me and said, dude, like, I'm scared. Like you, you're, you're doing this like too much. Like I, I, Mm -hmm. like, I want you to like hurt yourself and I should have listened to him. Mm -hmm. Like, and I got kind of mad at him. I was like, dude, like, shut up. Like I'm doing, I'm doing fine. Like nothing's going to happen. Like just let me do me. Like I was just getting mad at him for no reason. Mm -hmm. And that was kind of in my mind, the first time the addiction really got to me because Mm -hmm when you're getting mad at someone for caring for you just because they don't want you to do what you love, like mm-hmm. that, i.e. that, like I got super defensive about it. Yeah. And I started letting it ruin some relationships. I wasn't hanging out with my friends. Um, when I wasn't on the drug, I was super irritable, mm-hmm. super mad. Like I was, my mom would just kind of get mad at me for, for normal things which she's allowed to she's my mom yeah she's allowed to get mad at me um but it got to the point where like i there was a glass sitting on the counter and she was sitting on the counter and we got into a big screaming match and i picked up the glass and i threw it at the window and luckily i didn't break the window that would have made the situation worse (laughs) but like that's also another point where like it started getting bad because i started to realize how how like pissed off basically I was all the time mm-hmm. when I wasn't on the drug. Mm-hmm. But then as soon as I went back onto the drug, it was it was just continuous at that point. It mm-hmm. was normal for me to be in that state. And I read a, a an article. I forget who the article is by. There's some some PhD scientist guy who studies psychedelic drugs. Mm-hmm. And he said that when you're on those kinds of drugs, your human physiology is no longer human. Your Mm -hmm. body starts running in different ways. Like it doesn't run like a human's body does. Mm -hmm. 
So that's when I started to notice that like my thoughts started being deranged. Like I was having really weird, odd thoughts that I never thought would happen. Mm. And just from out of nowhere too. Mm. Like it was like, it was, it, it made, it started to make me feel super crazy. Like I felt very mentally ill at that point. Yeah. And that's why I kept taking more and more and more because I wanted to escape that feeling. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Uh, what, what would be, I know when we talked previously, you said that, um, these drugs actually had a big effect on you and your brain and moving forward, um, say after your overdose, what was, what do you think was one of the biggest things that you kind of had to overcome and what was some of the, oh, I'm blanking on the word, but what was some of the, um, kind of the negative things that came obviously from that aside from the whole overdose scene like what was some of the things moving forward that were um obviously negative and that played a big effect on your life um really it was like obviously my brain chemistry was all over the place at the time mm -hmm. uh the doc i had five court mandated psychiatry assessments after um, what happened because they needed legally to check in on me, mm -hmm. um, to see, cause they were telling me all these stories about people who relapsed the day after. Mm -hmm. And that's why the cops came in and made sure I had none left in the house. Um, mm -hmm. so I didn't come home the next day and take more, mm -hmm. um, which at the time I'm sure I probably would have, I was so addicted and it, you can look it up mushrooms, LSD, none of it is an actual addictive substance. Mm -hmm. Um, it's the same, like when you, when you go to the dispensary and you get legal weed, they put little labels on it and it says one out of two people will become addicted to marijuana. Mm -hmm. Marijuana is not an addictive substance. It's the addictive personalities. Mm -hmm. One out of two people are addictive personality. They'll get addicted to something very easily and very quickly. Mm -hmm. Um, so that was the hardest part for me was dealing with the fact that I could no longer take that drug and feel the way I did because I was the best I'd ever felt in my life. I had never mm -hmm. felt better at that point in my mm -hmm. life. Um, so that was a hard thing to deal with. Um, obviously it, it created some hysteria and depression in me, uh, for like the two to three months, uh, after which were like the toughest months to get through it. Um, because like I said, uh, I have that, disorder i don't have it anymore thank god um it's called hallucinogen persisting perception disorder mm -hmm. it's a very rare disorder that uh hallucinogen users can get mm -hmm. it's basically where lsd and uh psilocybin can get trapped in certain air pockets in your body so mm -hmm. say in your brain um in your spine like when i would pop my spine it would activate lsd um, so there'd be, I would have little mini trips through the day where I'd mm -hmm. like, just, I would move and my, my spine would pop and then like LSD flushes through my body and then I'm high again. Holy. Um, so basically with that, it was all the time too. It was constant. It's not like it just happened and then I'd go back to normal. Mm -hmm. I wasn't normal at that time. I always felt off. Like I was, I didn't feel human. Mm -hmm. I didn't feel like a regular human being. Like I would look up in the corner of the, the, uh, the room and I would see stuff. I would see like I was on the drug again. Like mm -hmm. I would see stuff flickering. I would see like just patterns moving. 
um, I would look at my TV and I'd look away and I would see the TV where I was looking, where obviously the TV was on the complete opposite side of the room, but I could yeah. still see the outline of the TV and kind of the shape of the TV. And it was like I was on the drugs again. Yeah. So it made life really hard at that point. Mm-hmm. And then I, I told you in those direct messages that after the overdose happened, I kind of became an alcoholic after that. Mm-hmm. So probably three months straight, I drank every single day just wow. to try and n- numb, numb the feeling like mm-hmm. just to get away from everything that happened. Mm-hmm. And that made it even worse yeah. because obviously other substances are going to intensify the effect of what happened. Mm-hmm. Um, but like it was every day I was drinking 14 to 15 drinks a day. I would wake up, wait about two or three hours and I would start drinking. Mm-hmm. Um, and all this, like, I'm still struggling to this day from after effects that happened. Mm-hmm. Um, my heart is a little eggy. Like it kind of, it'll get super high rates per minute. Uh, my blood pressure is higher than normal for my age. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's just because it literally, it's, it started and stopped again. When I was in the, the ICU, my resting heartbeat was 34 beats per minute. Oh my and I'm gosh. pretty sure the normal is like 90. Yeah. So it was very unusual. Yeah. Um, but on the brain side of things, uh, like I'm a lot better now. I, I know mm-hmm. how to be happy without taking those substances. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's not hard for me to be happy anymore. I, mm-hmm. I don't have depression anymore, but that's all because I forced myself to get out of that state. Mm-hmm. And that's what I think people with depression, obviously it's super hard to do that. It's not mm-hmm. easy. Um, and the way I did that was I found it out. I found out what I actually wanted to do with my life. Mm-hmm. And I kind of came to peace with that. Mm-hmm. At that time, that's when I started golfing a lot. Like I was just really relaxed, enjoying my time. My mom said, do whatever you want to do. Like, don't worry about anything. Just go do what you want to do. Mm-hmm. Um, so I golfed every day. Like I love golf. Like mm-hmm. it literally, it just made me feel so relaxed and calm. So I would just do it. I would play three rounds a day. I was a mm-hmm. member at a course outside of the city. So I could just go drive there and I would spend probably 14 hours there a day. Mm-hmm. And I was just playing every day. That's and awesome. then in, at that time, that's when I was like, Oh, I want to be a golf pro. Mm-hmm. And then now obviously I'm going to business, yeah. golf, but that's because I kind of revitalized and it's also because I've worked in business for the past two years. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was, I've been a salesman for the past two years. Mm-hmm. So I kind of revitalized my mind and I was like, Oh, I actually like, I'm good at this. I, I mm-hmm. want to go to business school, mm-hmm. but awesome. I think still on the brain side of things, it does still create a lot of anxiety for me. Mm-hmm. Um, just for like, uh, I'll, I'll even be at the gym or I'll be at superstore wherever I am. And I'll see my eyes are tracking everyone. Like I'm looking at, I'm mm-hmm. trying to just see facial expressions. Like I'm always thinking in my head that someone's laughing at me mm-hmm. or someone like there's something like maybe like, I don't know, I, I look weird. Like, and then I'll, I'll see one person laugh and then my heart starts pumping. Like I just get mm-hmm. so anxious and I'm like, oh, they're laughing at me. They're laughing at me. And it still happens mm-hmm. to this day. But then I just kind of in my head say, stop being an idiot like, <laughs> they don't care they don't yeah. care about you like they don't know you, what do you 
but yeah it still it did create a lot of a lot of paranoia in my mind that it could happen again Mm -hmm. but at the same time i just have to figure out ways to calm myself down and Mm -hmm. focus on what's right for me so Mm -hmm. now at this point i can say that i'll probably never do any of those drugs again i'll never get into those situations and Mm -hmm. i i'm on the right path in my life yeah that's so awesome that is yeah it's amazing to obviously have you share that and for you to explain how like you are good without them and that you're moving forward and you know that you don't need them in your life and that you've realized what you need to do in order to obviously keep yourself happy and keep yourself on the right track and always moving forward. And, um, where are you going to business school at? Um, I'm going to say, I was going to go to MRU, but I'm going Mm -hmm. to say for two years and then hopefully after one year, I'll be able to, uh, transfer over nice to MRU, but I'm going to see how say goes. Cause they do have a good business program mm-hmm. here in Calgary. So I'm going to see if I can get good enough grades to maybe transfer over to UFC. Mm-hmm. That's a shot in the dark, but <laughs> uh, if I can put my, if I can put myself to it, I'll, I'll do it. Yeah. Um, that's always my mindset for Just sure. put yourself to it. You can, you can figure out a way. Absolutely. So that's my goal is to end up going to UFC, but, um, Mount Royal does offer the program, like the specific program I want to be in, which is mm-hmm. international business. Mm-hmm. So it'll work out. Whatever school I go to, that doesn't matter. Yeah. I'll, I'll figure it out. Exactly. No, but yeah, for awesome. now, see. Nice. That's awesome. How did you, uh, when you were obviously going through some of your toughest times, how did you find that that actually affected your school and all your schooling? <laughs> well, like I said, I took them every day, so that takes the exception of school. It's not like I waited to get home to do it. Mm-hmm. I wanted to be high at school. Mm-hmm. So I would take three or four grams and go to school. Um, I would take them, obviously. I would, I would drive to school, mm-hmm. take them in my car, and then go into school. Mm-hmm. Um, I wouldn't drive on them. Like, that's just stupid. Yeah. Um, but a lot of my friends were, like, uh, uh, don't think bad about my friends but like my a lot of my friends were the ones that would just sit in their cars and smoke weed and then go into class Mm -hmm. so I would do that with them as well Mm -hmm. so I was constantly high at school I also had two online classes at the time so I only had one class to go to at school Mm -hmm. so I would spend four hours at school half the time sitting in my car just Mm -hmm. tripping and then when the trip stopped I'd go home uh take more that's Mm -hmm. what I would do and then Obviously, I was so focused on myself at that time that I had no focus on my school. Mm-hmm. Um, and like, not to to gloat on myself. Like, I know I'm a smart person. I mm-hmm. I can retain information very well, mm-hmm. and I understand a lot of the things that are going on. So I I could have done super super well at school. I still did very well even with what was going on, like mm-hmm. I can still go to university, get into the programs I want to get into, mm-hmm. but I could have done better. Yeah. Um, it, it definitely affected me in the way that I wasn't doing my homework. I wasn't studying. Mm-hmm. Um, and the funny thing is, is half the time I was tripping, I would try and learn stuff, but it wasn't about school. <laughs> so it was about other things. It, yeah. it would be anything but what I was learning in school. Mm-hmm. So, it definitely affected me in a, in a negative way for my school and 
two days after the overdose happened, I actually had to take a diploma mm-hmm. and my school knew about the overdose. So in my mind, I'm like, oh, I'm going to get exempted from it. Like, mm-hmm. I won't have to worry about that. Just the little kind of like bad negative thoughts that were going through my head at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, but they were like, no, you still have to take it. Like, you're taking the exam. So imagine going through a fentanyl overdose and two days later having to write a social exam and an English exam. Yeah, that's crazy. That is, yeah, yeah, that's mind blowing. It was bad. How did you end up doing on it? (laughs) I did good. I passed. Nice. The the funny thing is, is the first social exam they gave me, because that was one of my online classes. Yeah. They didn't know that the two exams were different, like the two diplomas were different. Mm-hmm. So they gave me the regular social one, and I wrote it, felt like I aced it. Like, I felt so good about it. Mm-hmm. And then they were like, a day later, they were like, yeah, you did the wrong one. You're going to have to come in and do the other one. Oh, and I was my. like, are you kidding? <laughs> I was like, like, the string of bad luck that I had with that month of June was just mm-hmm. so bad. Like, I just, that's why I kind of like started drinking a lot and like mm-hmm. getting into those bad habits again because i was pissed off at the time like i was mm-hmm. mad yeah i was mad at everything like i would be driving and i would be mad at nothing someone mm-hmm. would do the bare minimum and i would instantly my brain would go to the worst possible thoughts and the worst possible like i would just start like flipping people out. like i was just such a little <laughs> little i don't even want to say like well, he's a little <laughs> shithead at that yeah time. i was terrible <laughs> was not a good person. Oh, geez. Um, one of the biggest things that you kind of touched on was the some of the relationships that you have with people and some of the relationships that you had um, back when you were going through your mental health struggles and obviously going through this big stage of your life. How did some of those affect you? Like in terms of the relationship that you had with your parents and as well as your friends, like, how did those affect you, like, in both positive and negative ways? In a positive way, a lot of my friends were, like, reaching out to me mm-hmm. and, like, saying, like, they were scared. Like, they they were generally just trying to comfort me, which mm-hmm. is, like, a good thing. Like, you, you need that reassurance after something like that happens. You need mm-hmm. to know that people are still on your side. Um And my parents, like, my parents' relationship at the time wasn't good. And then it got better after because of what happened. Like, we needed Mm -hmm. to reconnect, um, set ourselves on a better path. We weren't fighting anymore. Mm -hmm. Um, But I was still, like, my brain was hardwired at that time. Mm -hmm. Like, it was, like, one thing would happen, and I would be pissed off about it for a week. Mm -hmm. So, initially, when it happens, I get super pissed off at it. Yeah. And so the little things would happen, like my mom, like I, like I said, I'm like a, a very anxious person. So I'll, I'll take into account some of the, the tone of voice someone's using with me, um, their facial expressions. And uh, mm-hmm. like, even if they gave me a little bit of like tone, like bad tone that I thought was bad, I would get pissed off at them. Mm-hmm. So my mom, for example, I would get mad at her and I'd be like, like, don't give me attitude like that. And she's like, I'm, not, I'm literally just talking to you. Like, I'm not trying to give you attitude. But at the time, it was just like the way my brain worked. Mm-hmm. Um, the The relationships with my friends got a lot better after that because awesome. I was actually hanging out with them more. I was mm-hmm. talking to them more. They were talking to me and they're like checking up on me, making sure everything's okay. Mm-hmm. Um, that all got better 
all I can say all those relationships got better because people I think people realized what they almost lost mm-hmm. and they kind of it, it reset in their mind like like geez like I need to like be with this person more like I'm not mm-hmm. gonna I almost didn't have the chance to be with them again so yeah um I think that's the same thing with my parents like they were super cautious with everything after like they knew I was going through a lot of stuff mm-hmm. and they were always looking out for the best for me so that's why they told me like if you want to pursue this golf thing like go do it like we don't care like we want you to be happy yeah exactly. so all the relationships got better that's mm-hmm. none of them got worse for that yeah um and I guess one of the biggest ones like biggest relationship that I want to kind of touch on because you talked about it was the friend of yours that is currently upstairs in your house and how he reached out to you prior to how has he obviously influenced your life and shaped it into where it is today well the, his name is brandon mm-hmm. it, his his mom and my mom have been best friends since they were 17 mm-hmm. um and his dad and my dad have been best friends since they were like 25 mm-hmm. or no same age sorry like say they went to university together they both the couples were high school sweethearts and they would they've mm-hmm. been together since then um, so I, I knew Brandon since the day I was born. Like that was my first time obviously yeah. not meeting him, but yeah. it, it, in terms of specifics, I did meet him on that day. Yeah. So he's always been a part of my life and he's mm-hmm. always been my best friend. Um, he was the one that was like super scared at that time. Mm-hmm. Like he was, he goes through it. He has, a, he has some issues too, that he goes through. Like he has a lot of anxiety too. Mm-hmm. Um, but he told me the story that when he heard about what happened, because he was at a friend of my sister's house, mm-hmm. and obviously she was like super scared and crying, and like she had to call her friends and like mm-hmm. let them know what was going on. He found out then. He tried to. He was drunk at the time. I was like <laughs> a Saturday night. Um, he tried to run to the hospital that I was at to try and come see me, oh but obviously gosh. like people stopped him from. Like he was. He was freaking out. Yeah. Um, but like he, he like obviously like let me know how scared he was. Um, like basically just like the emotions he went through at that time. And he was mm-hmm. like, I literally thought you were dead. Like mm-hmm. I, he was like bawling his eyes out him and my sister's friend were they were all, I ruined everyone's night basically is what I'm trying to say. I ruined everyone's night at yeah. that time. <laughs> so, but yeah, no, he, uh, our relationships never like it's never been in a bad place and at mm-hmm. that time it was still good but he was the one who initially reached out to me and was like hey like are you okay like do you want to go do something and that's when like he loves golf too so mm-hmm. we would go golf every single day together mm-hmm. so it was good to like just have the connection between us that kind of kept me mentally at bay mm-hmm. um yeah, he's great. Like he's always been my best friend. He he would do anything for me, and I do anything for him. Mm-hmm. And if he was in the situation that I was in, I would do the same thing. Yeah. So oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, that's no, that's fantastic, and it's so important. I mean, I always say it in every single podcast that I do, is it is so important to have at least one person that is not professional help that will help you on any given basis or just be there to support you and be there to listen to you, be there to 
talk to you straight up and tell you how certain things made them feel and because that's so important it's nobody wants to be alone like a lot of people definitely do isolate themselves from others but it's more so in the fear that they don't want to hurt anyone else and I just personally think that it is so so important to have at least one person that you can run to at any given time or one person that will automatically take you from a sad state to a happy state and go do something like play golf with you because not everyone does have that unfortunately but if you can have that then hold on to it because it's it is important and it's obviously super useful um i have plenty of friends that do that too like they're there's uh, the other guy that's here too liam he's the same thing like he mm. freaked out too when he found out yeah he like they all my friends like i have good friends and i have good relationships with them i never have bad relationships it was mm-hmm. just the fact that i let the drug take advantage of me which took advantage of those friendships mm-hmm. so totally yeah and so i guess one of the things that i actually talked about in one of my previous podcasts was um or something that she said was it's so important to find a hobby and for you obviously that hobby has been golf and you've spent a lot of hours and time uh into it but how important and like what has golf kind of done for you in moving forward and obviously growing and just really bettering yourself well like that's the thing about any hobby that you do find is you always start at one point mm-hmm. and you know you can get to a better point in mm-hmm. either if it's a sport, if it's school, if it's any, like really anything you want to do, graphic design. A lot of my friends do that and they, mm-hmm. they sucked and now they're good at it. Yeah. Um, that's a good feeling to have after something like that happens is being able to work on something and hone a craft and actually start to get good at it. That's a mm-hmm. really good feeling. Yeah, because I my handicap. If you know what I got you, you know what yeah. handicap is. Yeah, right? yeah. So initially, when I started golfing, which was like, like when I started golfing uh, after the fact, mm-hmm. my handicap was like a twenty eight, and then it went down to like a three or a four. Wow. So it was. I, I just really worked as hard as I could at that time because uh, I had nothing better to do, and there was nothing mm-hmm. else I wanted to do. That mm-hmm. became another addiction, and my yeah. was just just golfing and getting bettering myself as yeah a super healthy addiction which is obviously awesome um what Sorry, would my, my mom came <laughs> no worries no worries at all <laughs> um what would be kind of one tip of advice that you would give somebody that's either gone through going through or will eventually go through either something similar to you or just any form of mental health struggle just because I feel like a lot of depression, even addiction, anxiety, all that can be controlled within yourself. It's just, you let it take control of you. Mm -hmm. You really need to revitalize and focus on what's right for yourself. Like if it's not making you feel good, stop it. Mm -hmm. If, if it's weed, if you're addicted to weed, but you know, it's not making you feel good anymore. Mm -hmm. It's just numbing something or just, it's just something you do just, just stop like doing it. Just really mm-hmm. try and focus on something else. Try and mm-hmm. find something that's going to help you rather than put you in a situation like that I was in. Yeah. Um, I honestly, 
I would, that's, that's the biggest way that I kind of got out of my mental rut was just really being hard on myself to, to like, at the point where I was like, stop being an idiot, like stop being so depressed. Like Mm -hmm. you need to realize how great life is, how great your life can be. If you start doing certain things, if you start Mm -hmm. taking care of yourself, if you start caring for others, it, you just got to like really start to realize what, what can be rather than what is mm-hmm. because like I sent you that quote, right. That yeah. says, um, I, I, I don't know what the quote act like <laughs> exactly says, but it's like, if you're going to be mad about something, don't mm-hmm. be mad about it for forever because you can't be mad at temporary disappointment. Yeah. Like it's just, sure. it's temporary. You need to focus on something else. You need to focus on yourself. essentially. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No, totally. Yeah, no, and that makes total sense. Um, if somebody does want to, say, reach out to you and talk to you about either some of the things that you've gone through or even just relate themselves to you or share their story, what is, uh, where could they reach you and what's the best way to reach you? Uh, you can just go on my Instagram. I'm pretty sure it's not private. I'll just look what the actual... Uh, it's underscore Marshall Whitman, just my full name there. Okay. Um, that would be the best way. Like that, that's probably the, the most universal way to reach me. Mm-hmm. Um, and feel free. Like, obviously I'm super down to talk to anyone that's going through something. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously I've been through a lot, so I can give them, I can not necessarily give them tips. I can just give them reference mm-hmm. on what's happening and, maybe try and help them to get out of what what is happening to them for sure um but yeah probably just my instagram awesome well i think that's kind of all that we have for today and uh obviously thank you so much for sharing your story you have (laughs) i say this to everyone and it feels repetitive (laughs) but honestly you have changed my life and you've taught me so much and you've obviously allowed me into your life and sharing your story and being vulnerable and open, I take that to heart. And I appreciate that so much. And I envy you for doing that. So thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. No problem. It was fun. Yeah, it was awesome. Well, I'm sure we'll talk soon and have a good rest of your night. Yeah, have a great night, Lucas. Okay, thanks you as well. Talk to you later. Bye. Thanks so much for listening to another episode of Struggle Creates Strength. Marshall Whitman's story was unbelievable and so inspiring and it's amazing to see what somebody so young can actually go through. If you want to reach me or come on the podcast, you're more than welcome to reach me at Struggle Create Strength on both Instagram and Facebook or you can go to my website at strugglecreatestrength.com. My doors are always open and I know that Marshall's are as well. I hope you enjoyed and just remember that everyone has a story. Although no two stories are the same, every story has the potential to help someone else. Thank you, and we'll see you next time.